Hello and welcome to the Telehealth OT podcast where occupational therapists, parents, caregivers, and patients share their telehealth stories. My name is Dr. Reina Oliveira and I am the owner of Telehealth OT Services where we specialize in working with children with autism and also provide education and trainings to occupational therapists about telehealth. I have been able to share my story with the world and now I am extremely happy to give others the opportunity to do the same. Welcome back to the Telehealth OT podcast. We have a very interesting episode today. We are recovering so much. I did a pre-call with our guest today and we just couldn't decide on one topic. So we're going to try to cover it all in 40 to 45 minutes. But welcome, Trisha Castellan. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, it was it was hard to uh, narrow down the topics. We certainly have a lot to chat about. <laughs> yeah, we do. All right. So let's start like we start with every podcast episode. Tell us how you first learned about occupational therapy. What's your OT story? Yeah, and it, it's funny. I was thinking about this and it's, I'm unique because I feel like mine's straightforward. Um, my little sister was really handicapped. So when I say severely, she was blind, quadriplegic, cerebral palsy, cystic fibrosis, like you name it, she had it kind of oh, kiddo, wow. right? So I've known we were two years apart. So I've never known a life without having therapy or special education or, you know, kids with the exceptional abilities around me. Um, and so when it was ready to like figure out what I wanted to do for college, I knew I wanted to work with kids but I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to like sit in a classroom all day. So you know, I talked to my parents and I was like, PT or OT? It just seemed like one of those two would just fit my personality. And then the more I learned about OT and remembering like what my little sister had been through, I loved the creative side mm-hmm. of OT and how we're really able to use that. So I was like, all right, guess I'm going to OT school and look for the, you know, the universities around Boston where I grew up and, and went on to, to college for it. So it was awesome. That's great. So I'm sure you learned a lot already just from being around your sister's therapies all the time. Yeah, I think a unique perspective too of just it just being kind of normal in my life. And so yeah, I do think it's helped me as a therapist long long years. Yeah, I remember I had a classmate that had a similar situation. I could just kind of like sense in her personality. She just kind of understood like the therapy world from that like insider perspective. And so that's interesting. So how did you first get started with telehealth? Yeah, so this was back in 2015. I don't know, 2020 seems so long, it's even hard to remember before that. <laughs> right. um, we, were, we were moving from Montreal. We'd been up to, in Canada for a few years, my husband's job, and we were moving to, to Lake Tahoe area. Um, I don't know if everybody will, will know about Lake Tahoe, but yes, it's in California. You hear California things, sunshine or whatever, but this is at 7,000 feet of elevation. So oh we get gosh. tons of snow, winter, mountains, you know, that, that area, um, small mountain town too that we're moving to. So there was no in-person jobs. Mm. Um, the only in-person job is going down to Reno. And that was literally coming down the mountain about 45 minutes to an hour. And I was like, I, I don't want to do that in the winter there. Yeah. You know, I had young kids at home. So, um, I had a former colleague who had been doing telehealth and I love her like, like so much respect for her and she'd been doing telehealth. And so I called her and I was like, listen, like 
are you sure? Like, are you sure this is legit? Like, it seems like we're hands on, you know, all those questions that everybody had yeah. um, and, and was completely skeptical about it, but I didn't have a choice in my mind. It was like, well, I got to try this because I didn't know what else I was going to do. Yeah. Um, so I ended up applying to um, a telehealth company that she had been working for and kind of started it. I did have to supplement at the beginning and do home health at the hospital too, which was, you know, new and different for me mm-hmm. um, until I got the, the telehealth thing kind of more up and running as an independent contractor contractor but yeah just kind of had to dive into it wow so knowing like I know um you know more about you than our audience knows like I wasn't expecting that like skepticism like a lot of people have that were thrown into telehealth now I'm surprised by that (laughs) oh no I wasn't I will say like and I I tell people even when I interview them I hated it for the first six months oh my god (laughs) it, it, it was hard like it was so hard to be like here I am as like an experienced therapist. And it felt like I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, how do I do what I was doing in person and do it this way? And it, and it took me to say, okay, just stop. Like right. take a step back. And what would you do if you were sitting next to that kid in person? Right. You know, right? Like, what would you do? Now adapt it, modify it and do the same thing. Yeah. And so it just, it just took a little bit of time to get into that groove and just to wrap my head around like, how it was gonna look but yeah I don't know I was very skeptical and definitely hated it for six months <laughs> well I'm I'm really surprised to hear that and I think that's that's good honestly like that the truth comes out someone who's so involved in telehealth now we'll get into the rest of your story in a minute but that you didn't always love it like for me I always loved it and so it's easy for me to just be like yeah it's amazing but you have a whole different perspective. <laughs> I do, yeah. Well, I mean, I get where people are coming from when they're yeah. saying that. Like, no, I don't know. And, and, and I see a lot of the, the bumps that people are hitting today. Yeah. Because it's different than, you know, back in 2015, it was very different what people are doing versus kind of being forced into it right now. Exactly. So definitely some changes. Yeah. All right. So let's get into all of your awesome telehealth experience. Walk us through your various positions in the telehealth world. Sure. Um, like I said, back in 2015, started um, just as a provider. Um, and back then, and, and it might be even now a little bit, um, it, was, it was hard to get a full caseload with one company. So I ended up, I mean, I did the home health a couple days um, a week for, I think it was the first year. Um, but then I started contracting with multiple companies, some big ones, a smaller one. Um, I even had one school um, that I did my own independent contracting with as well. Um, and able to do so just worked as as a provider got used to it learned everything learned how to do evaluations um, learned how to do it you know in a very uh, specific platform versus other companies that were using zoom with some different modifications and things that they were giving us access to so I kind of learned how to do it in a different some different um, different light um, and then after about a year of just providing services I became like like a lead or a manager um, mm-hmm. And so what that was, was kind of helping to be the liaison between the, like either the school and the company or the, the therapist and the company, um, helping problem solving, works on some scheduling, making sure all the kids are being seen and that kind of stuff. I, I used to work as a manager before my telehealth days as well. So I really enjoyed being in that role. Um, still as an independent contractor, still doing that similar position for multiple different companies at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was able to become an employee of one of the really big telehealth companies um, our, our title was a clinical account manager, but that basically was over the managers and really taking the whole clinical side of um, our contracts um, with, the, with the different schools. Um, you know, we each kind of had a territory we were in charge of, 
And at the time, myself and there was one other OT in the similar position. So we also answered any OT questions from, you know, all the therapists throughout the, the agency as well. Um, you know, we did demos for schools, we did interviews. Um, so we, we did all kind of different aspects of the clinical side and also a little bit of the business side as well. So how did you get that position? I'm sure I, we did a little bit of an episode, well, a little bit. We did another episode with uh, Mike from Simple Practice in a non-traditional telehealth job, so not a practitioner, manager role, or some other kind of position. So how did you come about that one? It really was just sort of working my way up and seeing what, what presented itself. Um, and, you know, each different company really does have different roles where they, you know, it could be marketing, but they want that clinical perspective into it so there could be yeah. positions that open up I think you just have to keep looking for them mm-hmm. and so after I was with that really big telehealth company I was ready to go back to a smaller one mm-hmm. um, so I started I started reaching out and, and spoke to an, a former colleague who I'm, I'm now with um, HM therapy in San Diego um, and it, it, it didn't fall into my lap because I was certainly looking but I didn't realize by having all those other jobs how much of the business stuff or those non-clinical roles I had learned just by being around it, just by having my business counterparts. So I was able to, to just kind of bring it in with my own clinical spin on it um, to be able to help do some, some of the things that I'm doing now in a more non-clinical, non-traditional role. So what, what has been like the biggest differences, would you say, in working for a large company versus working for a smaller company? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of differences. And even in the companies, even if they're both big or both medium-sized or both small, you really can see um, see differences. You know, one is a platform. Um, you know, what are they utilizing for therapy? Those are definitely questions. And everyone has their preferences, right? Yeah. And it's how much time you want to put into learning whatever it is. If you're comfortable with Zoom, you might just want to stay with Zoom. You don't want to learn a new platform or vice versa. Um, you know, the, the big companies tend to have more contracts. So you have a little bit more options. Um, they'll do reimbursement for different license if you need them. Um, a lot more, not necessarily more, but they could have a lot more resources or other professionals to be able to collaborate with. Um, that's what I really loved is like with the big company, it was like, oh my gosh, I mean, there was over a thousand different clinicians that you could reach out to and just learn from wow. these people with all these different experiences, right? Like whether it's an SLP or a school psych and it's just like everyone's at your fingertip. So that, that was really awesome. I really like the, the bigger one. Um, and the smaller one, I just feel like I have a, a greater impact mm-hmm. on things. Like my voice is heard that you're not kind of falling into just being a clinician or another clinician, but sometimes you want to do that. You just want to be like in the masses. So it really depends on what you're looking for that can really meet your needs. Yeah, that's so true. I know some people, when I first wanted to start my business, I would tell my colleagues at the hospital that I was working at. And I remember one saying like, why would you want to do that? And I'm like, why not? And so some people do just want to like work the nine to five and stay there. And some people want to explore other options. So yeah, well, and they also have differences of, are you an employee? (laughs) or are you an independent contractor, right? And there's positive and negatives to that one too. And it can be very dependent on your life situation and which one you prefer to be. So um, those are really good questions to ask regardless of the size of the company as well. Yeah, would you say, now that you bring up like 1099 versus um, W2, would you say most companies hire 1099 over W2 or is it 50-50 by now? 
I, you know what? I don't know the exact percentages and part of it's going to be where you live and the laws in that state. So like California, for an example, the independent contractor is basically gone. Yeah, I heard <laughs> um, that. Unless you're, yeah, unless you're working for a company that like therapy isn't the only thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for my current company, everyone is an employee. Um, wow. But I know that there's a lot of other companies or depending on what state you're in, they'll absolutely still do that 1099. So I don't, it's a good question. And I wonder what the actual percentage is. Yeah, because I think as someone who's just like looking for a job that it's more appealing to have a W-2, but if telehealth equals 1099, then it's going to be even less appealing to those that are already like skeptical and don't want to try it. Yeah, exactly. Some people just want that like side gig, right? Mm -hmm. That it's just a few clients or whatever it is and not having it um, full time. So it's, yeah. And when, you know, we've had to switch people over to W2, some of them hated it. They were resistant to it because they liked that independent contractor. Other ones like, no, I don't want to be an independent contractor. I want to be like, <laughs> so, um, I like that there's options for people. Yeah. Um, I was just about but, to say that. I'm like, you know, in the OT world, like there's just options. So that's yeah. the beauty of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, All right. So you mentioned OT contracts earlier and I'm shifting this podcast and a little bit based on my, you know, where my business is headed to working with entrepreneurs. So what pointers do you have for anyone who's looking to obtain an OT school contract like independently or through their business? Good question. It's a hard one, right? I mean, the, the competition, um, that's out there now, especially now that telehealth is so widely used, is uh, substantial. I know I was talking to the secretary a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, some days I get like 15 to 20 phone calls a day. Wow, that's it, a yeah. lot. So when they don't respond to you, like, don't be shocked. Um, to me, the number one thing is relationships. You have to develop relationships. You can't just come in and be another phone call, another email, um, but really trying to appeal to them in some way, shape or form and and do that slowly. You know, sales research research all all says that um, it can take up to eight attempts at contact before you even get a response. So um, it's it's that balance of not pestering, but making sure that you're staying top of mind. Mm-hmm. to people, you know, showing value to them. Um, I think one of the greatest things you can do is keep your email short. Yes. <laughs> it's, you, know, you get those long emails and a paragraph in, no one's, you know, delete it, <laughs> no one's reading anymore, you're skimming over it. So keep it short and get them on the phone. Yeah. Um, let them know who you are. How can you add value? Um, you know, what are, what are their school's pain points that you might be able to um, really help them with? And if you're on the phone with the decision maker, how can you save the money? That's what, I mean, for a lot of the schools, that's what it comes down to nowadays. It's going to be the dollar sign. So how can you add the value and save them some money? Oh my gosh. You covered so much stuff in like 30 seconds. <laughs> you guys like, all right, we're going to break this down because all of my entrepreneur OTs need to hear this. All right. First, I don't know. I'm not going to know in any particular, just how I remember yeah. you said email to phone call, like, hello. I just talked to somebody who was like, I'm getting a lot of email inquiries, but I can't convert them into sales. And I'm like, stop emailing with them, get them on the phone. And then she comments on my Facebook uh, thread and says, thank you so much. I have my first evaluation scheduled because I pulled a parent from an email to a phone call. I'm like, like, yeah. So simple. So easy. So So it applies the same to like OT. I mean, this is, 
this is basic marketing now. We're not even like just this, all of it applies to every source of marketing that you need to, to do, whether you're trying to get a school contract or whether you're trying to just get one-on-one clients. Yeah, okay. Relationship building. Huge, 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 huge. When people ask me what my biggest way to market is, one was like social media, two was relationship building, but really they're like integrated because I'm building relationships on social media and being social and establishing those relationships. So it's like the same. People don't want to, they get sold to all the time. They don't just want to be sold to, they want to connect with somebody. And so that is, that's huge. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and especially in the school world, like you'll you'll see that like you know the districts in an area they they all speak to each other mm-hmm. too. So even if you have like a small contract at a charter school, they speak to you know the next door neighbor, special ed director, whoever they are, and they say, "Oh, we're contracting this person. They're great." It's word of mouth. It's that relationship exactly. that gets you out there. So they're so important in the, the K twelve. Yeah. Um, I remember, I remember when I first started my business, like everyone would always say word of mouth. And I was like, I hated hearing that. And I think I've said that on this podcast before, but I'm like, I am so tired of hearing word of mouth. Where did the first client come from? But like, now I get it because people do start talking and like, I'm not even looking for clients right now because I'm expecting. And yet people still throwing my name around like that. They just remember me. But then let's tie that back to why, like value. That's another thing that you mentioned. We have to provide value and show people, first of all, defend OT and show our worth, but also set yourself apart from every other 19 calls that that secretary is getting, right? (laughs) It's true. And, And, you know, thinking about your audiences, I always let them know that I'm an OT myself calling, that I'm not just like a salesperson calling. And I think that brings a different um, dynamic to it as well. Yeah, or like a virtual natural therapist. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't just have your assistant calling or like somebody else. It's you and you're vested and, you know, you're the one who's the most interested and not just sending somebody else to do it. Yeah. And and you understand what their needs are because you're a therapist, you know, you're not going to hand them off to somebody else. You'll be through them, through the journey with them to get them up and running and they're in good hands. So again, it goes back to that whole relationship building piece and having value. Yeah, they're all the same. (laughs) It all ties in together. And and one of the last things I think you said was like addressing their pain points or addressing their needs. And that's another huge thing in getting clients anyway. It's like you have to understand what emotions they're going through. Mm -hmm. So as a school, what were they going through during the pandemic? What are they going through now? How can you help them? Not how can they help you to get that contract? So it's all what's in it for them. Yeah, no, it's it's true. And I think the biggest thing I see with the schools right now is they're all different, right? Like there's some that are back in person and they want that on-site therapy. There are other ones that are in hybrid. There are others that are just in telehealth. So um, really listen to what their needs are and do the best that you can, depending on your own location. Can you uh, accommodate what those needs are? Are you able to do hybrid? Um, I think that's really helpful to really hear what they needs are or that like some kids aren't coming back yeah doing your homework even though yeah even though they're not at school are you Mm -hmm. flexible to do that so yeah um, because I'm sure like if I called and I knew nothing about that school like and the next person called and they knew everything that was going on they did their homework they understood the needs of the school they'd likely get a contract way faster than I would 
Yeah, I put some money on that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought all this up because like everyone needs to hear it over and over and over again. I can't say it enough. Like we keep talking about these points in the entrepreneur world and it applies to getting school contracts. I think people see school contracts as like something completely different, but you brought up this all the same exact points. So yeah. yeah, that that human connection, they, and and the schools really like that. They like to know who they're contracting with too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the laws in the area um, that they can rely on you. It, it's just so important in the K twelve sales. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I'm sure that everyone will appreciate hearing. Um, your thoughts on that. I'm hoping to get one more person to have a full episode about this, so we can awesome. <laughs> dive deeper into, I don't know, the nitty gritty. Maybe what a what that email would look like or like, I don't know, some other stuff. So we'll see what happens. That's true. There's things that have worked and things I'm like, Ooh, that didn't work so well. So, you know, lessons learned. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's go on to the next question. What are your thoughts on telehealth pre pandemic and telehealth now? Lots of thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think for me, like the number one thing I love is how many resources there are now. Like we've known that OTs are creative and could do lots, yeah. but like before everyone had them because they were at their schools or whatever, we're sharing everything. I love that everything's so out there to get. So I just think that is absolutely fabulous. Um, strategies, treatment ideas, worksheets. I mean, it's, it's maybe over, overwhelming how yeah. many resources are, are now coming out. Um, one thing that concern is probably... Yeah, it's probably inappropriate a term to use. Um, is because some of the HIPAA FERPA laws we've lessened them a little bit, and and I get it. I'm in agreement. I understand we need to get good services. This is was an emergency, but I want to make sure that we go back to making that we're upholding those guidelines. Agreed. Um, yeah, that that we need to the best that we can. Um, you know, one big thing I've always thought was important is having an external camera for OT services as well so that you can get up, move around, see different things to the students or the kids that you're working with. And again, I get we We could never afford to send cameras to every single student in the United States. Um, but getting back to that, if these kids were going to stay in this model, we need to make sure that we're having best practice mm-hmm. and following those things. Um, so hopefully that, that will shift back a little bit. Um, and I hope that we can increase attendance. Mm. One thing I say to our school-based therapists a lot, because they, they get frustrated with the amount of absences and no-shows that they get. And so going back to like pre-pandemic telehealth, so pre-pandemic telehealth, we used to see kids, there was, in the schools, there was a paraprofessional on the other side of the camera, right, with the student, whoever that facilitator was helping them be in your hands. If the child was homeschooled and went to a virtual school, it was their parent. Their parent chose to homeschool or virtual school their child. Right. Post-pandemic or midst-pandemic, mm-hmm. we're in a world where kids are forced to be at home. Parents didn't choose this. Parents are trying to make sure they go to class, managing multiple kids, while trying to do their own job from home. Yeah. So when kids aren't showing up for therapy, it's it's not it's not the parents don't value it. They just have a gazillion things on their plate mm-hmm. that they're trying to juggle. I mean. I consider myself pretty highly organized and like have it together. And I can't tell you how many things I've missed in the past year. (laughs) So like I I understand. And so although as a therapist, it's frustrating that you're not getting to see these kids. 
um, or you know the parents calling you from Costco seeing if you could do speech um, it's everyone's doing the best that they can and so hopefully as we kind of come out of the other end of this we get back into you know, the paraprofessional assisting or the parents having a little more time to be able to help with therapy too I think it's going to be um, important yeah, we definitely have to put ourselves in the shoes of those families. I mean, and obviously ourselves to give ourselves grace. I would always tell people when they're first transitioning, like, give yourself grace. Like, you're doing the best that you can. Like, you know, like you said, upholding, you know, laws and standards, but just give yourself grace. Like, if it doesn't go exactly according to plan, if you're not working exactly on those goals that the IEP says, like, just, you know, take it easy and just, you know, keep working at it and know that you're doing the best that you can. And as, you know, I think as long as everyone's doing the best that they can, that's all we can really ask for. So it's, it's true. And like for, for the school-based therapist, you know, the educational environment for the child has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, when that IEP was written, it was for in X, Y, or Z classroom and now their classroom is home. So, exactly. well, I, I understand sticking to the IEP and working on those goals, but there's been a change. And so sometimes it's setting up the routine and structure or their workspace um, and just helping the family so that the child can succeed in this like new educational setting. Yeah. Yeah. Like helping even speech to text, how many kids have helped get that onto their computers because a first grader or second grader is not going to have the typing skills to be able to keep up with some of this work that's expected of them. Yeah. So true. And I think too, like helping the family as a unit function is going to help that child function better in the, in the school setting. And so we can still, to me, justify your IEP goals by helping the family with their routine. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things I've seen on Facebook lately is social emotional learning, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's between counseling, OT, and the call self-regulation, call sensory integration is what we've done, but it's that social-emotional learning. And some of these kids are not even available for learning right now because they're just going through so much. Yeah. So as therapists, we have to be able to adjust and be able to address those needs. So. Yeah, if like we're sitting here crying about a pandemic like every day, can you imagine what the kids are feeling? Like, I have to stop myself and be like, all right, like my poor four-year-old, like she's been a dang trooper in the middle of all this craziness, like can't see her friends, can't go outside, can't go to the museum, can't go to like, you know, and she's been handling it, but like our, you know, we just sometimes forget about them and their emotions through all of this. It's so true. My, my daughter was at soccer last night, and so I was sitting in the car watching her, and you know, they're all their masks on, and they're playing and stuff, but it just, it just made me so happy to look at them and just being kids, you know, and out there, and I'm like, this, this is awesome. Like, it just was that, that little, that hour of time that they had to. And that's all they want to do. You ask them, and they just want to play. They just want to play, like, whatever it is, they just want to play. <laughs> so, so where do you think that telehealth is headed in the future? Ooh, crystal ball time. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I never even thought we would have been here a few years ago. So <laughs> this is the future. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely uh, made us go quickly in the future, right? as well as I thought it was going to be. Um, I mean, I think it's here to stay, right? Yeah. Now that we all know we've, we've had a taste of it, um, it it's here. Um, I, I do think, I don't know what percentage, but most people are going to do some sort of hybrid. Yeah. Um, I see that being a huge piece of people's practice, regardless of age or discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that we'll see more of an acceptance of it as a viable service. There'll still be some people that 
don't feel comfortable doing it, don't want to do it. There'll also be some um, clients that maybe it's not the best um, model for, but, but by and large, the acceptance is going to be huge. Um, the other thing, and I've seen a, a couple recently, is I think virtual reality is going to start coming in more. Oh, I know. That's so cool. Like, that's one thing I haven't tried yet. I'm like, I need to try this. Like, it looks so cool. And, and like, you've seen it for like anxiety and different like mental health things. And I even was seeing that they had like a, a Spanish immersion class. So like, <laughs> so you put it in, like you're in like the grocery store, sometimes you can practice your Spanish. That's so like, awesome. that's, that's going to come over to us. Yeah, you know? it has How to. Cool that be? <laughs> So I think like the, the technology advances now that we know this is like where we're headed that, you know, the IT brains of the world are going to come in and start expanding this even more. And I think it's just going to make it even, even more successful um, yeah. option for people. It's going to, it's going to be fantastic. And, you know, the OT compact getting that license or oh. licensure open too. Yeah. But can we fast forward that one? <laughs> Please. Seriously. Uh, like two of my different licenses expired this year. Cause I was like, okay, this is too many to maintain. Like I'm just going to let them go. I'm not using them right now. If I need them, I'll redo them again. Cause sometimes just too much to manage. Yeah. It's a lot. It'd be so much easier. If we had that OT yeah. compact. I remember it was like, she's like 15. I'm like, you have 15 different state licenses. Like just to remember like when they're doing the CEUs and they all have weird things that they need. So yeah. I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to that the compact coming out. <laughs> yeah. When I tell people I want to like grow my business like nationally, they're like, oh, you're gonna get a license in every state. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, no. <laughs> I will hire there, but in every business yeah. not me. No, no. <laughs> that is way too much to handle and take care of. <laughs> yeah. But even I I don't know, like even everyone I'm excited about the OT compact, but I feel like it's still not the hundred percent, I mean, nothing is right. Like a hundred percent solution that I, that I want because it's like states can choose to do it or not to do it. And so we'll kind of see, I guess, where that puts us. It, at least it's a step in the right direction, yeah. right? It's going to help, but you know, you're still going to have the student that you're working with that goes on vacation somewhere totally different or, you know, whatever, and, and you're not licensed there. And then that's yeah. just a natural consequence of things having to stop until they come back and you pick up. Yeah. And if someone was going on vacation and you were in person, you would stop therapy, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, you know, try to think, like you said in the very beginning, like how would you have done that in person? What would have happened if that was in person? Right. Let's apply it to telehealth as well. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Um, I don't think, I don't think you mentioned this, but we had talked about it um, earlier you have a role right now in the small company that you're working with as an OT recruiter. So lots of people asking me like, who's hiring? Are you hiring? How can I get a job, et cetera, et cetera. So from your perspective, what advice do you have for someone who's trying to get a telehealth job? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Um, this, this is hard, but I do think it's the biggest piece is trying to make sure that you've had in-person experience mm -hmm. in whatever you're applying to. Um, I know that, especially for our new grads coming out, I just, I feel horrible for the positions that they're in. Half of them had their field works cut. Um, they weren't able to do them. They could only do a little bit and they just couldn't get that in-person experience. But when and if you can, try to get it first. Um, mm -hmm. Because it, it is hard to go into telehealth without knowing what it's like to be um, in-person first. Um, but I'll say do some research. 
um, you know, on, on what you're applying for and in a little self-reflection in terms of like what your biases are to telehealth. Mm. Um, it's funny because my, my title is telehealth services director, even though I'm doing marketing and sales and recruiting and a bunch of different things. And I tell people that when I first interview them and then they'll often tell me how they, they don't believe in telehealth. They don't want to do telehealth. And I'm like, so just be aware of like what you're applying for, what biases that you might have. And if that's truly the position you want to apply for, knowing that this is something that most people are having to do nowadays. Yeah. So definitely that awareness. Um, you know, share, share what state licenses you do have, but don't go out and get one before. Yes. And I know you and I were talking about this a little bit, that, you yeah. know, that's a lot of questions people have. Like, do I get one before and then apply? For the, especially the larger telehealth companies, you want to find out where their needs are, and that could change. Right. So don't to let them know what you have and then they'll be happy to help cross license. That being said, for like a small company like myself, we'll usually put like need California license. So if you don't have it, don't apply. Because especially right now, it's taking like six to eight weeks to get some license through. Oh wow. And so if we had an immediate need we need to fill, we can't wait for that. Right. Mm -hmm. So just that be it. Small company, make sure if they say you need a license, have it. Larger companies, or if it says that you don't need it don't get it ahead of time. Wait to see what, what the need is. Um, and some states are super fast at processing their license too. It just, it just depends. Um, and have a general idea of the pay in the state. It varies. Like it's really interesting. And I'm sure you get this all the time. Yeah. How like my New York therapists that apply, like what they're used to being paid because it's just a different structure is very different than California, very different than North Carolina. So just be aware of, of like what the going rate is. It's so easy just to look up an Indeed and get yeah. like even a quick look um, at what the pay rates are in that area. Um, and then the, the final thing I would say is, during your interview, show how flexible you are. Mm. Because to be a good telepractitioner, you have to be flexible. Yes. So right? So if you can't demonstrate that in an interview, then they're going to have some reservations of putting you into that position. That is so, so true. You definitely have to be flexible. And I know that's really hard for a lot of people, surprisingly, because I feel like that word was like huge in OT school. Like you have to be flexible and it still yeah, applies right. to telehealth, but yeah. people. Yeah. And even just like whether it's scheduling with the kid or how you're going to deliver services or, you know, all of that stuff, you just have to be able to think outside the box and do things a little different and not be so rigid. But um, it, it comes across clear to me in interviews when people I'm like, Oh I, yeah, maybe in person this would be a great fit, but I don't think telehealth are going to be able to, to roll with it. I mean, even like a tech issue happens, right? <laughs> like yeah. go in panic mode or like, no, let's just sign out and sign back in. Oh, look, it's fixed. Um, yeah. I think people need to like, I, I mean, a couple of things that you said that just like popped on my mind. It's like, people really need to understand their own strengths and weaknesses as it applies to this, but also like their own professional goals as it applies to this. Yeah. Like you said, don't apply for telehealth just because it's what everyone's doing. If you don't really like it, understand it, believe in it. And also understand that if you're not good at technology and you're going to struggle with this, don't put yourself in that situation. Yeah, I'm laughing because I definitely had several people in an interview go, I just hate technology. I'm not good with this stuff. And I'm like, hmm, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm like, well, you know, I can't, like, I, I mean, I'm not, hiring and I've never hired an employee but like I, I put myself in that 
like vision and I'm like, I can't take the time to train someone on how to like troubleshoot their own computer. If my camera, I have a very good computer and my camera just stops working all of a sudden. I have to know how to fix it. I cannot rely on like an employer or someone else to walk me through that. I have to have enough skills to be able to troubleshoot on my own. Yeah. And, and there are those like basic things that like you've learned how to troubleshoot, right? And like yeah. you learn the things about your computer and you can always share that. Like I always tell people the first thing you do, log out and log back in. I have no idea why it works. It just seems to. It works. That's, <laughs> what, I do. That's what I do when my camera doesn't work. I turn off my computer and I turn it back on. If you had, just like think about when you had to like call to get your like cable working. Like what's the first thing they tell you to do? Like, did you turn off the box and turn it back on? Wait 30 seconds or whatever the time is, a magic number. Turn it back on. Okay, it's working now. Like, you could have saved yourself that phone call. <laughs> no, it's, it's so true. It's, just, it's a simple thing. But yeah, in an interview, you could tell people are just not comfortable. Um, yeah. in, in thinking about an interview, too, I didn't think about this before, um, that you're still interviewing. And so even though you might be in your home, um, be professional. <sighs> Yes. And things happen. Like I've, I've had kids run through, like I, that part of it, I totally get that dressing professionally, you know, not logging in from like a parking lot or in a car, like making sure that you're, you're showing that you have true interest in, in the position. Oh, I laugh, but I like it because I know there's so much going on out there and like in Zoom world right now, like people's husbands walking across and like their <laughs> underwear and all this stuff. And it's like, we laugh about it, but it's so true. Or put up one of those virtual backgrounds. Like if you need to like get it, like just in case. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Like there's, there's a remediation, not remediation, what do you call it? There's options to solve your, like your, your life issues before an interview it's so true yeah just just remembering you're being a professional and you're interviewing for professional job even though it's you happen to be in your home and on the computer so what what do you think like if anything i mean if we haven't covered anything already like sets somebody apart really from 20 candidates like i don't know one thing one thing your top thing personality personality yeah i mean especially i'm hiring for pediatrics right you have to so, be like fun and animated. And- exactly. So it's, it's having that personnel. I mean, the other big thing, because of my schools being in most of my sites in California, it's very litigious. And that's, you know, different parts of the country, same thing. And so the other piece besides being personable is having that background knowledge um, of the laws. Mm. You know, so definitely, and even if you're interviewing for a different state, make sure you're up on those things and showing again that flexibility to like, well, sure, this is how we do it here, but I understand that it's different here and that you have that understanding. So yeah, personality is, uh, is huge because you know it's going to be a good fit for the company too. And that's part of it, right? Like it, you're interviewing each other in yeah. so many different ways. So it's important. And I heard people say like they, I feel like they have to be so much more like, animated and like on via zoom and stuff Mm -hmm. and so like it's the same thing in the interview like you have to like show a little bit more like excitement because of the 2d you know experience yeah yeah. well it's true especially if you're working with kids you can't be in that very uptight i work with kids because i love it right and i want to show that to people so it's definitely an important skill it's good because i talk with my hands so that's easy yeah (laughs) that's such good advice I'm not talking my hands because I'm like, I'm, uh, full disclosure, I think my friend, my friend Kim 
Kim, I, not Kim, Kristen has talked about this, like out in the open and I haven't, I'm like fidgeting with my cord people. Like this is what I do during my interviews. I sit here and I like tie a knot and I release it. That's what I'm doing under the table. <laughs> yeah. I've had a hair elastic or putty or many things. We are with yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on here. We talked about so much. I can't wait for this episode to go out sometime. Or maybe you do June. some life things coming. I, I have some life things coming. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, my life thing will be here already. So, <laughs> anyway, thank you for doing this. So great connecting with you. Definitely keep in touch. And yeah, thanks for being here. Well, oh, thanks for having me. Congratulations. I'm so excited to see pictures once you post them. <laughs> thank you. I will. Take care. Bye. If you're an occupational therapist and you want to know more about telehealth, be sure to join the Telehealth OT Facebook group for more information. I'll catch you on the next episode.